This is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch. And today we have Jason Bowman on the show for a really thought-provoking interview. I got so much out of talking to him, and I know you will too. Uh, but first, a little bit of housekeeping. Um, I finally have an Instagram and Facebook up, so I would love to hear your thoughts in there. You can DM me or post to anything. Um, I'm posting occasionally trying to get better about it but um yeah i would love to hear if you have if you have a suggestion for a guest or you'd like to be a guest i'd really love to hear from you and then of course if you are willing to rate and review this podcast it really helps people find out about the show and you know it'd be great if people listened not you know maybe not just us maybe some other people maybe you could send it over to your coworker or your friend or that new person you're dating or i don't know up to you. Uh, anyone you think might enjoy it. So I'll start today by talking about my practice right now. Uh, the I would say the thing I've been really loving, which I, I've always loved it, but especially lately, is extended side angle. Um, I've been doing some of Sarah Stroh there. She's she's a teacher here in Chicago. She's really wonderful. I hope to have her on the show too, sometime. But anyway, her, I've been doing some of her video classes, her online classes, and she had this one uh, moment, this one cue in extended side angle where she said to, first she said, push your feet down and draw them together. And then she said, now press your heels down and draw them apart. And for some reason, that cue, along with that sort of twist in the upper body and extended side angle, gave me such a big side body opening. Uh, and side body opening has always been something I've really loved. Uh, you know, uh, I learned, you know, people, I've heard people say a lot that uh, backbends open your heart, which is not a feeling I've gotten from backbends. But sidebends to me feel like they open my mind in a way, in the same way that they open my body. Like it just feels like they give more space for breath and in some way, more space for uh, the emotions of the emotions and the thoughts for your mind, like sort of space between them. Um, I don't know. That's kind of far out, huh? But they, yeah, they give me this sense of spaciousness, uh, especially if I'm feeling kind of anxious. Because when I get, I think the feeling of anxiety is a tightness. Uh, which I'm not going to get into the current current politi- political situation in the United States. I'll just say that um, it's very close to election day, and um, it is it pr- does produce some anxiety in me. Anyway, so that anxiety I feel like makes makes things feel tighter and shorter and. Uh, more immediate and then somehow opening my side body helped one and I think it helps me breathe easier literally but then figuratively it just feels like it it gives a little bit of space between me and, and that feeling of anxiety or between me and a feeling of frustration which is really needed for me right now and it's also it feels kind of like a, a quick fix because you know I mentioned that my practices are a little bit shorter but, you know, if I do a 40-minute practice or a 30-minute practice and, and I get that really nice extended side angle in there, it really does uh, change the whole quality of my day. Um, 
I'm really excited about our guest. I had a really good time interviewing him. His name is Jason Bowman. Um, he is a yoga instructor in San Francisco. I, I took a few trainings with him. Um, and he's just uh, so mindful and composed and so specific about his language. Uh, he's a writer and that's pretty clear. So instead of trying to introduce him myself, I'm going to read his bio to you. Jason Bowman is a writer and yoga teacher in San Francisco. His practice and teaching have been greatly influenced by Ashtanga yoga as he's learned it from Richard Freeman and Maddie Azarati and Vipassana meditation as it, he's learned it from S.N. Gwenka. He has completed several trainings and silent retreats as well as years of practice with all three teachers. They've the impression they've left can be felt in his strong ability to teach the physical practice alongside the philosophical alongside the philosophical with insight and character. Jason has excelled in teaching teachers and providing continued education both at home and internationally. He leads Yoga Alliance certified teacher trainings as well as regular immersions, workshops, retreats, and guest lecture series. His classes encourage a personal examination of the space between theory and direct experience, and his love for the practice shines through in his ability to teach with a concrete yet creative voice. So I really hope you enjoy the interview with Jason and definitely go to his website. He has a wonderful blog and some wonderful writings. Um, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so welcome, Jason. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Uh, so we'll just start out by asking the main question, which is what's your yoga practice like these days? It's pretty geriatric, honestly. I, um, I do a fair amount of just rolling around on the floor, which tends to be all I'm, all I'm up for on most days, but uh, very helpful, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, my main practice I would say is, is sitting still, which I do every morning for an hour and on most evenings as well. And, um, yeah, my asana practice consists of maybe God, only three or four times a week right now, it seems consistently. And ultimately, yeah, just lying on the floor with a strap. Uh, doing like soup to pot on gustasana and supported bridge and some long forward bends and maybe if I'm feeling spicy I'll do like three sun A's and three sun B's but yeah it's pretty uh, it's pretty pared back right now which seems to be working well actually yeah uh, are you spending a lot of time doing something else physically or is that just yeah yeah i ride my bike you know 100 to 150 miles a week and that's definitely like my exertion practice whereas you know before i got super into cycling i was i did ashtanga yoga and that was like a six days a week 90 minutes a day and very physically oriented and demanding um but yeah now that i get that physicality through cardiovascular endeavors i don't feel like i need as much of the the movement um associated with like ashtanga or vinyasa as i used to that makes sense so would you say that 
your the practice when you were practicing Ashtanga, is that more what's informing your yoga teaching, or is it informed from what you're rolling around with on the floor? <laughs> oh well, um, yeah, good question. Uh, that's interesting. I remember, um, like when I first started teaching, I heard somewhere I don't remember, but the advice was like teach your practice. Um, teach what you're doing and that you know makes sense on the surface but then I remember years later Richard Freeman said um, pretty much exactly the opposite thing like don't teach your practice your practice is your practice and the teacher is a teacher because they know what is appropriate or helpful for individual students in individual circumstances so my teaching doesn't change at all um, like the quality of my classes doesn't change at all, depending on what my own personal practice is like. Um, so in that in that way, in the other sense, yes, my you know my classes are very much informed by my history in Ashtanga and my understanding of alignment that I learned uh, in that world. How long have you been doing asana for? Uh, what year are we in right now? 2020. I think I, st I started in college. Um, so, I mean, I've been practicing seriously for probably 12 years and a few years before that, I kind of just dabbled. Yeah. Well, I also think there's something to be said about the kind of cliche, which is that as you get better at things, they should become more and more simple. Um, and I definitely subscribe to that philosophically, but I would also say that I've noticed that experientially in my, my practice. Um, the more I practice, the less I really need fanfare and adornment and complication or, you know, difficulty. Mm -hmm. And so in that way, yeah, it does definitely feel like an old friend because I know, you know, like when I lie down on the floor and do my little routine like I know exactly what I'm doing and why I'm doing it and the content of you know the sensation and my internal state changes from day to day and it's easier to see that change only because of how familiar or friendly the poses are yeah so I'm I run and it's definitely it makes practicing really interesting <laughs> because the way that running affects your body is it insane day to day. yeah <laughs> and you insane. guys are insane I, i'll never understand you people that run god love you it's so amazing i just can't do it well i mean i think what people might not realize is that you're biking around the bay area which means you're biking literally up mountains so also i can't understand that yeah yeah fair <laughs> so i'm sure you have some things that you notice in your body after a long bike ride for sure um yeah i guess so it, would you say that at this point your asana practice is really preparation for your meditation practice then to like be comfortable sitting still physically? You know, I wouldn't even say that. It it certainly does that. It it certainly helps you to sit. But I've also been sitting for a really long time and sitting itself is kind of the only preparation that works for sitting. Like you kind of just have to sit in order to sit. Now, granted, of course, like having flexible hips and a strong spine and all these things that are provided by us and are very helpful for the gesture of sitting. Um, but I look at it as maintenance, honestly, like the, the stretching or the, the asana practice that I do 
is really strictly just for some sort of like physical maintenance, um, just cleaning the surfaces of the body and reducing kind of stickiness. Um, yeah, and that does benefit my sitting and it benefits my cycling and it benefits just my overall health physically as I move through the world. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, one of the axioms that we come to appreciate in the practice is that the state of the body is the state of the mind. And it's a lot easier to change the state of the body than it is the state of the mind. So we have this kind of shortcut into cognitive organization via the body. So in that sense, yeah, the and that's again what I kind of mean by the maintenance is the more I clean my body off in that way, um, the better I feel holistically. That's it. So going with that metaphor, would you say meditation is the way you clean your mind off? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely, I mean, that's, yeah, I could talk about that for way too long and totally get on a soapbox about how important it is to me, but certainly, yeah, it cleans the mind and it, it, it teaches composure. It practices, it, it develops composure. Um, which is definitely directly related to the quality of the mind. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to the podcast today that you did with your brother. So. Oh yeah. Nice. <laughs> it was really good. And the two of you together. So it was so great. So nice. To well hear. then let me do a shameless little plug here because he and I are actually making some stuff together. We're going to, he's, oh. you know, he's a professional runner. And so we're actually going to, we're building some content right now on, on kind of the meeting point between running and yoga and emotional health. So. Oh, that's wonderful. You'll have to send that to me so I can post about it and put it in the show. Yeah. Yeah, I will. Uh, so, yeah, that's great. They, it, it's really, it was really a great podcast. Um, Good. You thank talk you. A lot of, uh, yeah, of course. You talk a lot about uh, meditation and, and you're really committed. You meditate in the morning and in the evening for an hour. Is that correct? Yeah, the the morning every day for an hour for sure, and the evening t- um, is less consistent. But I my rule tends to be just put my ass on the cushion, even if it's just for a few seconds at night. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to do another hour in the evening, but realistically, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah, that's a big a lot. Yeah, yeah. that's a big because you know I also like you know watching movies and reading books, and right now I'm watching that show about cults. Me too. Nexium. Absolutely fascinated by it. <laughs> oh my god. We should probably do a podcast about cults. Well, I mean, there are some. There are already some podcasts about cults, but Nexium. <laughs> wow, that is quite. That is quite the. I mean, the biggest thing about that one is the cult leader is so obviously creepy. And I'm like, what, guys, did you look at him? Did you look him in the eye? Look at him. Yeah, it is interesting. That is interesting because I've, you know, I actually, I love just cult stories. Like, I'm really fascinated with the this whole phenomenon. And usually when I watch these things, there's moments where, like, the guy, the leader of the cult says something. And you're like, okay, yeah, like, that makes sense. Like, that's impressive. You seem actually really smart. And of course, that's of course you know paired with all sorts of other crazy, uh, you know, horrific control and exploitation. But I haven't been that impressed with this guy at all. However, I think the most interesting thing. I'm so glad we're just jumping right into this. <laughs> um, and I guess it is yogic in a way because the interesting thing to me about it is that 
people are so ready to turn the blind eye to horrific things or to rationalize horrific things or to explain them away simply so that they can enjoy the structure and the togetherness and the shared meaning uh, of the quote unquote community. And I think that just goes to show how thirsty people are for those things, the structure and the community and the shared meaning and how the kind of cult of individualism that we have in this country and in the West in general really leaves us you know, spiritually bankrupt to the degree that some of us um, seek out these really extreme forms of community. Yeah, anyway, I think if we were all, you know, practicing yoga and meditation more, um, because, you know, there's there's a part of each of us has that that impulse to reach out for that kind of togetherness, and really, you know, what it what those shows show or what those stories tell about cults is how much people really subconsciously or often consciously want to be offered easy answers and want to be controlled um, because it helps them to deal with the chaos of living. And if there's a charismatic figure that can tell you what is what, and this means this, and that means that, then it's, that's very attractive to people. And I'll again, try to tie it back by saying that's what this practice does for us, hopefully over years or lifetimes of effort is gets us more comfortable with not needing to know things so that we're less apt to excuse horrific things under the guise of clarity and certainty. I don't know. Sorry, that was a long No, rant. that actually reminds me. One <laughs> of the most interesting parts, which you sort of said offhandedly on the podcast with your brother, you mentioned that before you go to Vipassana, you one thing you do to prepare is you atone for anything like you apologize if you need to apologize because you know it'll drive you crazy and i think that's that is the point of meditation right because when you're sitting there if there's something in your life that's driving you crazy like it's very hard to sit there every day and not fix it <laughs> like, totally. just like if your body is uncomfortable and you keep noticing in your yoga practice it's very hard to not try to fix it because you're noticing your body. Yeah. Yeah, there's, and I'm always reminded of that ridiculous quote, who I, d I think is by Auden, who's, and I'm totally going to butcher it, but something along the lines of like the root of all the world's problems is humans' inability to sit in a room quietly by one's <laughs> own self. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I mean, my, my geriatric yoga practice helps me to do that. Um, so I don't join a cult. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, that's the main goal, really, is not to join a cult. <laughs> or, you know, maybe maybe the goal is to just find the perfect cult that doesn't, uh, you know, treat people as sex slaves. Right. Or do like, all sorts yeah. of sordid, crazy, you know, destructive yeah. things. Maybe that's the maybe that's the thing. Maybe we just need to create like a a new type of cult. It'll be called like the nice guys cult. Just for nice, we're just nice. But here. you know, it's a tale as old as time. These these types of things have been going on for thousands of years, and as soon as it gets to some sort of breaking point, it seems like the the tragic magnetism towards sex and power is very hard to avoid. Yeah, it really definitely does. Um, yeah, because 
usually it's like, oh, that cult is actually fine. They, they, you guys can just go on. And then the cult leader always does something just real creepy and or bad. Yeah. And then it's like, why didn't you just, you could have just, you were fine. You, you could have been fine. <laughs> um, but to go back to your practice, your yoga practice, since it's sort of just a lot of like what you call rolling around, um, what, what would you say like makes you call it like, what would you say makes you say like, okay, that was my yoga practice. Is it being on your mat or is there like something specific that you're like, okay, that counts as like my yoga practice today or does it not matter? I guess I've kind of successfully stepped away from the need to like call it a yoga practice. Um, yeah. I do kind of just bristle at the whole, you know, quote unquote, living yoga off the mat kind of thing. Um, which, you know, for reasons I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into, I suppose, but I think the, it counts as my yoga, like everything counts. And that's why it's, it's like, that's a trite thing to say, like everything counts as yoga. And it's certainly true. Um, but yeah, just very simply, it's like, I do have to kind of work myself into the motivation to get onto the mat. And even if it's only for 20 or 30 minutes or for however long, at this point in my life, and this has certainly not always been the case, it's it takes a bit of self-discipline to get me there. And then, yeah, it, then I do try to just kind of flow through what I usually do and sometimes I'll do like a couple nights ago I got out a couple bolsters and just did some restorative poses which I don't do that often but that was really nice um but yeah and I guess the simple answer to the question is like if I roll out the sticky mat and spend any time on it and then roll it back up and put it away then I did my quote-unquote yoga practice do you have that same um difficulty getting yourself to meditate no, but that that took many many years of of training. <laughs> you didn't was... tell I was about to ask that. <laughs> like, oh, when will I get there? <laughs> no, now it's literally just like I get up and do it, and there's no question about whether or not it's going to happen. It doesn't even feel like something that I have to check off my list. It's just well, it's just a part of my life. But that did. I mean, that took me many years, like at least seven or eight years to develop. And I don't know if this is. This might be this question might not make sense, but I'm at the point right now where I'm meditating like 10 to 20 minutes a day, which is I have an 18 month old, so it's like really all I have time for. Um, what is the difference like for what's the difference between meditating 10 to 20 minutes and 20 like an hour? Um, well, I want to you know, I think there's danger in appraising the quality of the practice based upon how long you're doing it. Um, and you can certainly be focused for 10 minutes of sitting uh, totally and at other times in an hour be focused for a cumulative like one minute. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much. So that said, however, um, for me, I need an hour to like get into it. And oftentimes it'll take me a half an hour to even like come to there's times where I'm sitting and I'm basically just asleep or daydreaming or like half conscious for half an hour. And then I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. I'm here doing something. Let me observe my respiration or whatever. So the, the longer, um, 
for me, the longer I sit, the, the, you know, deeper I go, so to speak. But also there's something to be said about when you sit for longer periods of time, you, you know, get more uncomfortable mm-hmm. and for better or worse, a big part of the practice is just learning how to be uncomfortable. And if you're only sitting for 10 minutes, you're not going to get the opportunity to practice being uncomfortable, yeah. <laughs> which sounds so ridiculous, but it is, it's, it's not a good sales pitch for meditation. <laughs> Um, practice being uncomfortable but unfortunately actually fortunately that is what what it is is you know giving yourself a safe place to look at agitation and be like oh well this is what it's like to be agitated and maybe I can actually observe agitation without letting it ruin me yeah there is definitely a feeling of like um not having of of the meditation not going the way I wanted when at the end I'm like oh that was easy it's like "Mm." (laughs) well Oh, no, that's okay. It's that that's that's fine. As as long as you don't, as long as you don't um, do the opposite when it's hard. Like, well, it's not to say it's wrong when it's easy. Um, that's kind of like saying it's it's the same thing as saying it's bad when it's hard. And both are true. Like, it doesn't. I'm I'm uh, faltering, but I guess the simple way of saying it is it doesn't matter. The content of the practice doesn't matter. It's how you relate to the content that arises. And if it's easy, if you cling to the easiness of it, then it's going to make it harder next time when it's not easy. And if it's hard and you avert yourself to the difficulty, then it's going to make it, you know, harder the next time, or it's going to make you more addicted to the ease the next time. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's that's like the biggest roadblock I think for so many people is judging the their practice by how easy or difficult it was. And I've been doing it for a fairly long time, um, which is a very little time compared to a lot of people, but I do I have learned yeah, that that the the success of the practice doesn't have to do with your level of comfort or the, the your degree of peace at all it has to do with how you can observe the change in your comfort and the change in your level of peace without aversion or attachment yeah that's that's absolutely true um it's very it reminds me a lot of the yoga sutras actually yeah. Good book. Good book. I'll be reading that one for a long time. <laughs> yeah, me too. Uh, well, I don't want to take up any more of your time, but thank you so much. This is really yeah, wonderful. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, and Thanks uh, for having me. Good luck on the podcast. Thank you. And could you tell us where to find you and uh, how to take your classes? Uh, yeah, my website's jasonbowmanyoga.com. Very creative. Um, and yeah, I'm teaching virtually currently, you know, like all the other yoga teachers, which is actually quite nice and I'm loving it. Uh, got a great crew of consistent people and we've got some good momentum and yeah, it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, but yeah, I'm teaching Monday, Wednesday, Fridays, 9am Pacific time, and then Saturdays at 11am Pacific time. Great. Okay. Well, everyone be sure to check it out. (laughs) Thanks Rebecca. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Wow, I hope you got as much out of that 
interview with Jason Bowman as I did. Uh, I'm certainly feeling just so illuminating. And also I'm feeling really inspired toward meditation because (laughs) I could definitely use some of that composure that he clearly has received from his meditation practice. Um, So I'm hoping to report about my meditation practice next week. Uh, We'll end today with the second Yoga Sutra. Last week we did the first, which was um, Now Begins the Teachings of Yoga. The second is Yoga's Chitta Vritti Nirodaha. And Vritti is a whirlpool. Chitta is consciousness. And Nirodaha is stopping or settling. Uh, Nananda talks about this. As you can imagine that your mind is a snow globe, <laughs> uh, so there's all that glitter and it, it, and you're, it's always being shaken, shaken, shaken. And because of that shaking, you can't really see what's going on, right? It's kind of just this uh, chaotic mess of glitter and that yoga is the putting the snow globe down, right? Narodaha is that settling of all of that glitter so that there's this clear and uh, calm picture of the mind. And when the mind is clear and calm, uh, there is a sense of peace because all of the things that cause anxiety or stress or pain are gone because we can see ourselves as we are. I'm saying this from other people I've heard talk about their practice or their, their meditation uh, practice. This is not an experience I've had personally. Um, and, and actually that's interesting. The reason we call it a practice is because that moment of clarity, that moment of settling is so rare The it's not actually what meditation or yoga is, uh, it's when we're saying we meditate or we're doing yoga, what we're actually doing is trying to get to that place. Um, I wouldn't say even striving to get to that place, but we're putting ourselves in a position where that might happen. We're trying to put the snow globe down over and over. Uh, but this patterning of consciousness has us keep picking up that snow globe, keep giving it a shake. So what we're doing is actually practicing, just letting everything settle. Um, Chip Hartnett says it's the it's yoga is to still the patterning of consciousness. So it's to sort of not just quiet, but to put an end to all of those things, those things that make us, uh, that make our mind unclear, like, um, or agitated, such as likes and dislikes and ego and identity and and really the idea behind yoga is to get rid of all of that so that we can see ourselves completely clearly which is just to say to see ourselves as a part of the universe um so pretty far out stuff but but the way that you get there is so simple like i was saying like jason was saying in the interview right it's so simple it's that you just sit there (laughs) And you keep trying to bring yourself back. Um, and it, and the yoga practice, in the same way, the asana practice gets you there because it's that way of you just sit there and keep noticing the body and you keep just coming back. And this is a way to settle the mind, right? To focus on either the breath or to focus on the sensations of the body that helps 
it almost feels uh, like a, it's a bit of a dichotomy, right? Because the way that you still the mind is by uh, focusing the mind, but it works. That's the magic. Um, so yeah, the, uh, this next week we'll talk a little bit about the third sutra, which kind of brings these three all together. So if you're a little confused this week, so am I. The sutras are simple and complex, which is the best thing about them and also the thing that makes them so interesting to study for so long. So we'll talk about Yoga 1-3 next week. And um, yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. I am still taking questions about your yoga practice, which I'll answer sort of sporadically through episodes. Um, and if you have a question, you can email me at homepracticehealth at gmail.com. Oh, and please rate and review this podcast. It would be really great if people started listening to it and you could help me by rating and reviewing it. That's how people find it. Thanks so much.